good stuff. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. This feels slightly strange. Good morning yourself. Oh, I need my clicker. <coughs> Excuse me, my just a few disclaimers from the start. My throat has been hanging out of me since Tuesday. So whenever it comes to singing later, I'm relying on all of you to help the team to do the warfare. Get that microphone in front of you, boy. Is that any better now? Hello? Good stuff. Okay. So, I don't really speak, as most people have gathered. Um, I don't do a lot of this. So, instead of preparing a message, what I have decided to do is prepare thoughts from my study on the scriptures, on different characters and different what I think worship looks like, um, especially in a destructive lifestyle and as a weapon of warfare. So, let's just pray as we start. Father, Lord, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, Lord, um, Lord, for the grace of your spirit, Lord, just to reveal it to us. So, and Lord, I just asked from the outset, Father, Lord, that if there's anything, Father, Lord, that is, that is said, Father, that maybe wouldn't be in line, Father, or maybe a wee bit wrong, Lord, that it would fall to the ground, Lord, but Father, that you would come and speak to us this morning, Father, Lord, show us the importance of this war, Lord, and show us the importance of this weapon of war, Father. Lord, come, Father, just be one of our midst this morning in your name, Father. Amen. Amen. Okie dokie. Isn't that good? Can you also see past me? Yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, <clears throat> so, before we head on to this, I was sifting through the internet the other day, well, when I say the other day, probably about a month and a half ago, and I got... I call them YouTube rabbit holes. It's whenever you start really, really intentional looking for information. So I was looking for something on um, worship related, more the tech side of it. And this rabbit hole ended up leading me to a video which was entitled The Most Terrifying Sounds of War. Now, how you get from worship to war is quite strange. Some might say it's actually led as well. But <clears throat> it got me thinking... And I, I did watch the video, I have to admit, yeah, I got sucked in and watched the video. Um, so, you know, it went through and I talked about the most terrifying sounds of war. Was it World War One, World War Two, the Gulf War, whatever? And, you know, it, it talked about tanks. If you were an infantryman, if you heard a tank or a plane or a bomber coming, it used to strike fear into your heart like that because you knew you were outnumbered, you were outmatched. There was no way that you on your own or your squad could ever take this thing on if you didn't have the right tools. It got me thinking... Anyone who knows me or has sat in a prayer meeting with me will know that I'm a liver and that I love to get angry at the devil, um, especially whenever he's having a go at people that I love, which is you lovely people. And it got me thinking, <clears throat> worship or praise, and for the purpose of this talk, we'll define praise and worship as sung worship unto God. Um, I believe that when we sing, that is the most terrifying thing that ever resounds out of this earth towards the kingdom of darkness. When they hear us singing, it strikes fear into their hearts. And I have no doubt in that matter. Because when we sing, we remind the devil that he has lost. So, <clears throat> we'll start off in Genesis. Not in Genesis, sorry, in Exodus 20. If you could turn to Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. Exodus 
So this is directly, this is, these are words directly from God back in the Old Testament. We'll all know it as soon as we start. Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6. <clears throat> it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So there we see, there's black and white. And for me, that shows God's character. Is God is a jealous God. God longs for our worship. You know, we go through... You know, Luke, um, Luke 19, verse 40, it says, it talks about how the rocks will cry out. If we stay silent, if people won't worship God, the rocks themselves will cry out to worship God. God is to be worshipped. He's to be loved and he's to be followed in, in his commandments, but he's to be worshipped. He longs for our worship. Um, Psalm 19, um, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the thing about it is, and, and, and this, maybe look at this a wee bit later on, but I believe that, that in heaven, when we, when we, and it's same with the angels, when they look at God, they can't help but worship when they see the glory that is in us. They see his glorious face. They see God's glory for exactly what it is. It, the, the natural um, gut reaction response whenever you encounter that is to worship because God is so good. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we are here on the earth, um, we will have a unique opportunity to worship in a way I believe that we won't in heaven. When we worship, um, when we worship here on earth, it's worshiping from from a place of, of, of extreme faith. You know, we, we we have to deliberately choose here on earth to worship God, because you know I'm sure we're all aware. There's many Sundays, or there's many times we can come into church, and we can be guilty of it, or we can sit and we can maybe just. Maybe you've had a bad week, you're bored, or, or whatever it is, but it's very easy to come into church sometimes, and, and I suppose maybe in Northern Irish culture, it seems to be a wee bit more prominent, but we can come into church and we can sit, and we can almost go through a tick box exercise, right, okay, I've sat, been through the first prayer, we've been through the first two songs, okay, and now we're just the word and three or four more songs to get through. Um, it can be very, you know, so we, we can choose... Um, we can choose to worship God on Sundays as a corporately, and again, I'm talking about that in a corporate sense, or we can, we, we can choose not to. So on heaven again, or sorry, on, on the earth here, we have this unique opportunity to praise God um, and to choose it, to do it. Um, I'd left, I love this verse here. I didn't remember it, but Psalm 68 verse 1 says, May God arise and his enemies be scattered. And again, I think this is sort of, a good verse that sort of for me has hung over most of this series so far. We're looking at destructive lifestyles and just when God arises, his enemies have to flee. Whenever the Spirit of God moves, the enemies have to go. Whether that be through fasting, prayer, um, holiness, faithfulness, whatever it is, when God arises, enemies have to go. And I think sometimes we can maybe forget that Sometimes, we can, well, I know I can be guilty of thinking we're in this spiritual battle. It's up to me to battle, battle, battle. I have to battle. That's not how it is. Because the scriptures clearly say that whenever, whenever the name of God is mentioned and when the gods arise and when the Holy Spirit moves, enemies have to flee. 
So turn with me, if you will, um, to Second Samuel, chapter twenty-three. <coughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to take a brief look through um, at different characters in the Bible, and we're going to look at what I believe is the reason that they were well, maybe not what happens when they worship, how they worship, and what went on from that. So 2 Samuel 6, verses 14 and 15. This will be a well-known passage, especially when it comes to um, when it comes to talking about worship. We'll actually we'll read from verse 14 through until verse 23, excuse me. And this is this is talking about the setting to this is <coughs> this was the ark of the, the Lord returning to Israel and just before this. Um, was the whole story and time whenever the the ark was obviously being brought in and the oxen stumbled, Uzzah put his hand out and to steady the ark and was struck dead. Um, following that, then David was filled with fear at this and sent the ark of the Lord to the house of a guy called Obed-Edom, who, just out of interest, was ended up being one of David's top men. At the end. This is a guy who was born as a Philistine, um, basically looked at, probably by the Israelites as a, a, foreign, a foreigner who was really not fitting in with their religious way of doing things because he was born a Philistine, an enemy. So 14 says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, as she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and, continued, and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a keg of bread, a portion of meat, a keg of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his own house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honoured himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamely uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, I love this bit because there's, there's a hint of sarcasm and maybe that's wrong, but I love it. <laughs> and David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible. Some other translations would say I will make myself even more undignified than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honour. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. So, basically, looking at this, I immediately see, you know, the thing that everyone, the two, probably the two aspects that most people will draw to and be drawn to in this passage is that David danced before the Lord. Everyone loves to talk about how David danced and was undignified and that Michael was at his throat. Basically, she didn't like it. 
Now, when I look at David dancing, that sends a wee bit of a fire inside me and says, I get a bit of an excuse to go a wee bit wacky. <laughs> and maybe I use that a wee bit too liberally sometimes, but I pray that God will honour it and see the good in it. But, <coughs> um, yeah, so I'll get my wee clicker here. Yeah, when I look at David, 2 Samuel 23, 1, talks about, um, it's the final words of David, and it talks in that about, um, you know, verse 1 is sort of like an, an introductory verse to who David was, and it mentions this. It says, David was anointed of God, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And I would love, not to sound somber, but if something was to go on my tombstone, when I die, I would love it to be a sweet psalmist. Not, not necessarily from the point of this guy has wrote loads of songs or look how good he was, but just that I was so captivated like David was with the glory of God and lifting his name high. Yeah. I think that's lovely. There's something so nice. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Israel being God's people. The sweet psalmist of God's people. So back into Second Samuel then. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And I would strongly, and again, I'm, I'll be going off on a wee bit of a preacher's license, as some people say. I would strongly imagine that David did not rehearse this dance. You know, we talk about seeing things in a movie context, and I can't really see David sort of bouncing around like this here. And dear only knows what else he was doing. But I believe that, you know, this is this watching this and looking at David from, from obviously the perspective we have now, and you can see his whole life. I believe that what happened here was David was just so overjoyed to have the presence of God back with him. You know, and, and, and that guy we talked about before, Obed-Edom, you know, the ark sat in his house for roughly, I think it was six months, give or take, whatever it was, but six months, and it talks about how while the ark was in his house, his family and his household was blessed. The presence of God brought blessing onto his house. And if you follow on that character, Obed-Edom, it tells you that after the ark left his house, he got up and left his house and followed the presence of God. This guy was so touched, was so blessed, was so overcome with, with who God was and his presence that he left his house, his life behind, to follow him. Um, and I believe that David is just, David is again a continuation of that. And as he sees, you know, he sees this as God coming back and he just, there's something within him just wells up and it, this is how it is expressed. Some people like to express themselves in music and poetry and art and sport. But I think this is what happened whenever there was, there was just a joy, um, a joy welled up within David. And this is how it overflowed. It might be, you know what, to the, the modern day world it looked ridiculous, you look stupid, you look foolish. But really, you know, again, this is just some of my thoughts. What, you know, I, I sometimes do these re-reviews in my life where I'll stop, you know, I maybe every so often I'll stop and think, right, what have I done in the last month? What have I spent my time on? You know, for me, I'm nothing against it, but social media is just, I just think it's, for myself, it's just, I find it so time consuming. But anyway, you know, I, I do these reviews and I sort, sort of think back, you know, and what, what, you know, what, there's maybe certain times and situations you find yourself and you're thinking, right, what, what do I do here? You know, maybe you feel prompted to do something by the Spirit, but you're sitting thinking there's a war goes on in your head where it's sitting, you're, sitting, you're going, right, okay, yeah, 
yeah, I can see the goodness in doing that, but but what am I going to look like? You know, you know the best one was uh, a personal example was I was in a coffee shop the other day, and uh, I seen one of the what do you call them baristas, coffee makers, girls was trying to brush the floor, and I could see she had a lot of pain in her bank, in her back, not her bank, in her back. I have pain in my bank. Don't worry about it. <laughs> she had a lot of pain in her back. You could see it, and she's. And I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit going, go on, ask her, can you pray for her? And I was sitting there going, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh this ain't happening. And I, and then my head battled with it. I go, should I pray for her or not? Or maybe I'll just sit here and say, we quiet prayer in the corner and that'll be all right. But I just felt God saying, no, go, ask, can you pray for her? And I didn't, I didn't do it, right? I didn't do it. I chickened out. And afterwards, I was thinking about it. I didn't want these wee reflective things. That I do. And I was thinking about it. And I thought, you know what? Why did I not do that? And then it dawned on me, I was so concerned and so gripped by the thought of what this person would think of me. Like there was, there was, I think there was another two people in the shop and it was quite a big shop, so nobody probably would have heard or seen. But I was so gripped and consumed by what this person would have thought of me by asking, not necessarily, but asking to pray for her, that I didn't do it. You know, and I was thinking, you know, maybe God could have released healing. Maybe God could have maybe ministered. You know, I don't know what was going on, but again, the more you think about it, you know, I was so overcome with the fear of someone who was going to know me for probably less than five minutes. And when I left the shop, I would have said nothing more about it. But, you know, sometimes we can become, and I've went off on a bit of a tangent here, but sometimes we can become so overcome with, with, with what people think of us. And, you know, when you reflect back, what does it really matter? You know, what, what really, and how many times, if we go through our own lives, how many times can you look back in your life and think, you know, I didn't do that. You know, I didn't pray there. I didn't pray in that prayer meeting. I didn't sing. I didn't fully worship in that service. I didn't sing. I didn't abandon myself before God because I was worried of what I would look like. How many times has the enemy allowed our expression of who God is and our worship for him to be hindered by this, I call it a stupid fear of man, Right? I, I just, I don't get it. I get it sometimes whenever it happens to me, okay? But <laughs> most of the time, you know, you think back and, oh, it just frustrates me. And this is a personal thing, so it is, it's not as much as it is, you know. There's so much potential. And again, this, does, this goes far further than, than praise and worship. This is praying. And I'm just sitting thinking, if, if we as a church would just, just realize who, who, who God is, what our identity is, and that if Joe blogs down the corner thinks I'm an absolute nut for praying for him, that, that's okay. What are the odds that I'll see Joe blogs down the corner in the next 30 days? Probably zero. Anyway, David, we can see, wasn't hindered by what anyone thought of him. This allowed David a new level of abandonment before God, a level of faith that cried out, God, you're more worthy of my attention than everyone and anything else in this world. That you, Lord, are more worthy of my attention, of the desires of my heart, of the cries of my heart. Lord, you are more worthy than these people around me. You know, you know there's, there's this new thing seems to be emerging, and a lot of it comes from America, and, you know, but it's happening over here. <coughs> Excuse me. This idea of spontaneous worship. And some people might think, and maybe this again is, I've been guilty of it in the past with my big, thick, stubborn Northern Irish religious head on me. 
is you watch these things and you watch people spontaneously worshiping God during sets and maybe it's from the front with the band or maybe it's people in the audience just singing out what's on their heart and my big stupid religious head was saying those people are nuts. They're maybe throwing their arms, they're maybe doing this, they're maybe singing something that's a bit strange, they're nuts. And I think, you know, the more, the more I've looked into it, I get this sense that there's this, this again, again, like David, there's this level of, of when you know God so intimately, this, you know, this will naturally come out. Your, your soul and your heart will naturally want to praise God the more you get to know him. And as Eugene Smith has once said, and I love it, you know, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I remember he said, I'll always remember this, a living personal faith with a living God produces life. Mm-hmm. And life, mm-hmm. and someone who's in that daily close personal relationship, and I mean a serious relationship with God, speaking to him regularly, there has to be a charismatic aspect to your life. Mm-hmm. Whether, not necessarily in worship, but there has to be a charismatic aspect to your life. Because God is alive. We don't worship a, God, a dead God this morning. We don't worship a stone idol that sounds and looks at you funny. We worship a God who's alive, who has overcome it all, and who gives life. So there's a lot of power, I believe, in spontaneous worship. There's something happens in the room when people just let go and spontaneously, whether that be sing something out, or whether it just be in the silence, just worship God. When people just enjoy the spontaneous reaction of your heart to worship your Father, there's something that is released in the room. David danced with all his might. So he did. Everything within him. Another thing, just on that spontaneous worship, again, it links in with his fear of man. At that moment, (coughs) excuse me, when we spontaneously cry out and worship, however that looks, that is a moment when our heart's chief desire is to glorify God. That's when we surrender to King Jesus in worship in an act of declaring war on our flesh. Because our flesh, everything in our flesh says, don't do it, you look stupid, you look like a nut. When we do that, everything within us is declaring war on our flesh. And we'll get to that a wee bit later on, just as we close. I know time's marching on. Um, the next bit this is more of a warning that I took was it's obviously the whenever Michael looks out and she despised him and obviously she gave him a mouthful of bad manners and he turns around and basically shuts her down in a very sarcastic way which I fully condone and love um, <laughs> side note please don't go out and be really sarcastic after this and say that I told you you can um, yeah, and I took this, I think there's a warning in this through what happens. <coughs> so if we read again the two key verses, right? So 2 Samuel 6, verse 16. And the second key verse is um, 23. It says, excuse me. Um, Dave, and the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Sorry, as the, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And the second verse is 23, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And when I read that, the first thing that screams out to me 
is where Michael was. All of Israel was out with David, worshipping and sacrificing before the Lord. The presence of God was coming back in and they were rejoicing. But where was Michael? Michael was in the house. Michael was in the house, not involved with the worship. And I strongly believe, you know, you know, again, it's probably more noticeable in our culture over here in Northern Ireland than, than in other places. But, you know, how many times have you heard people talking or been in conversations and a name of a certain church and how the worship comes up and the next thing, they're, they're loopers, they're wacky, they have their flags, as we say here in Northern Ireland. You know, they, they dance, they sing, they shout. And the thing I'm taking out of this, you know, maybe it's just me. Opposition to true worship of God will always come from people who have taken their eyes off the king. It will always come from people who have taken their eyes off the king. Because I believe that if you are, in, if you're looking into the eyes of Jesus, the tearful eyes of Jesus, as he looks at you, as he looks out at you as his child, then. I don't think, I honestly don't think we'll be able to speak anything down against his other children. So, opposition will always come from those who have taken their eyes off Jesus. And again, 23, and this is a warning, I believe, an example in the Bible that, that when Michael spoke out against the children of God, when she spoke out against the worship of God and how people worshipped, it's a pretty gnarly consequence. 23 says, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Speaking, and you know, we need to be careful. We can get so caught up in arguments and discussions and agreeing with opinions. You know, and I, you know, through conversations lately I've had, it's become very aware to me that we need to be so, so careful what we say about the church. Whether that be the wacky church down the street or the church that everyone loves or whatever it is we need to be so careful <coughs> and it's very easy don't get me wrong it's very easy when we see what happens and we hear what other people say maybe about us as a church it can be very easy to say well no whack, blah 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 i think it's in james james 3 talks about taming the tongue and there's a warning about having a loose tongue a loose tongue is like um, a tongue of fire i think it is mm-hmm. uh, correct me if i'm wrong i wouldn't know it off the top of my head but I think we need to be so careful in how we respond to what we see. You know, because in the grand scheme of things, no matter how much you've read the Bible, no matter how much of it you know, and I don't discredit that at all, that is amazing, and I would love to have the knowledge that some people have, but no matter how much we read the Word, we are not God, and we do not understand everything and every aspect of everything. There are things in this world that we do not understand and we won't understand. So I think we need to be so careful what we say. Yes. Yes. Amen. So it is. This, I'll also note that this happened just outside David's house. So David had come in from worshipping and, 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 you know, he's probably, if, he was, if I was dancing the way he was, I would be knackered. I would be done. I would be soaking with sweat and I would be done. And I can just picture David walking up the courtyard into this grand palace, and there comes Michael swanning her way out. Oh, look at you, laddie da, dancing up and down there with everything on show. <laughs> you know, well <laughs> that was very well done, very well closely. Um, but you, I can just see this, right? David's coming out, and he's wrecked, he's tired, he's stinking, and he's coming out, he's going, right, I'm home now, I can just put the feet up. And the first thing he gets out the door is, wah, blah, 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 blah. And, 
maybe David, I don't know, this is again a Patriot license. Maybe David is usually more gracious in his response, but I can see him just going, oh, for flip's sake. Listen, your dad was the king, and I was appointed over the top of him. <laughs> you know, so this, and what I'm taking from that, I know it's, it is comical, but you can see that there's division in the house there, and the house and the home is supposed to be a place of security, of rest, of, of, of a place where you feel safe. And David's coming home to that, and he's just getting a mouthful on it. I honestly wouldn't have the patience to deal with it. But to me, it stresses, and I know this is maybe a bit strange, me speaking as a single guy, but to me, this stresses the importance, importance that husbands and wives are on the same page when it comes to worship. Because if you have a husband who is very liberal in how they worship, and maybe he only knows what they're doing, they're worshiping, and, and they're in the house and they're worshiping, and the only knows if they're worshiping in tongues or whatever and then the wife is this sort of strict reserve she's trying to cast a demon out at the same time as the husband's <laughs> worshiping it just causes a split and it's just going to cause issues and and the thing is i read in a book um from a guy zach hicks it's called the worship pastor and he says and we'll touch on it later i don't know time margin on again but he says that the enemy's chief attack on him came on a saturday night it never came on a sunday morning when he was when he was leading the worship and it very rarely came on a Sunday. It came on the Saturday night, whenever he came in, and him and the wife were having an argument, blah, 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 and they never settled it, and that just completely destroyed the anointing and the worship the next day. So unity in the house and unity in a family, and, and again, this goes for a physical family and the family of church, or the family of Christ, that is the church, is so important that we're unified in our worship as well. <coughs> um, yeah. So bouncing on, just just quickly, I'll probably skip one of these. A quick look at Hannah. Now you don't need to turn it. One Samuel, um, the start of First Samuel talks. We we learn about how Samuel was born and, and and how Hannah was a woman who who longed for a child and and just it was the burden of her heart and her heart just tore for this and she couldn't have a child. And what did she do? She went to the temple of the Lord and she prayed. And she wept bitterly as she worshipped. And it talks about how there was so much being poured out from Hannah that Eli looked and thought she was drunk and told her to basically shut up and stop talking like a drunk person. But like to me, that I just see such beauty in that, that, that someone who's so distra- distressed and, and just hurt and their immediate response is to go and to pray and to worship and to just get before their father and lay it all out and say, God, this is what's going on. This is how my heart is breaking. This is what my heart is breaking for whether it be within our own families or this is who in the community my heart is breaking for. And, and Hannah's, these, these prayers and, and worship was honoured and Hannah, we, we learned about how Hannah had a child then and that child was dedicated to the Lord and that child was Samuel, one of the great prophets. Um, <clears throat> again, just quickly, this I've entitled this wee bit um, Praise as a Weapon During Sadness. You can see how Hannah used it. And we can see then in a New Testament context, Paul and Silas. And this is what I love. Again, I have this defiant side of me that anyone who knows me well, you all know me well, that's what I'm talking about. Um, anyone who knows me well knows that when I get talking about the enemy, I get angry. And I start to get rude and arrogant. Arrogant, yeah, in the right way, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. But I start to get rude. I get filled with a rage when I look at what he does. When I, see, when I look out and I see... Christian brothers and sisters under the attack of the enemy, I get angry. 
And if you were flying the wall in my car when I'm on, the, on my own praying for people, it would actually scare the life out of you. <laughs> um, I'm surprised I'm not hoarse for some of the prayers, and I get very angry towards the devil. But I love this. Paul and Silas in prison, two people carrying God's word to the nations uh, and the gospel, and they're in prison. And what happens? They sing. They sing hymns to God and they pray. What happens is they sing, an earthquake comes. Cells fall open. Shackles and bonds fall out of people's hands. And I believe this has the spirit. Uh, and I, I believe this is, is active today in the spiritual context. That, that whenever we sing and we worship, it's not just... Yeah, it is. And primarily, you know, our, our focus in worship is towards God. Yes, 100%. And that is the number one thing why we worship. We don't come and sing just to exalt ourselves. or to, Our number one focus in worship has to be glorifying God and worshiping for who he is and what he's done. But as we do that, darkness has to flee because we're lifting up the name of Jesus. And what we maybe forget sometimes, when we truly enter in, and when it's hard, and when we press into those times, when things are, are the most difficult and we push in the hardest, that is whenever bondages are broken. That is when people come in and drift in off the street that maybe have never been in the church and struggle with addictions, with suicide, with, with, with lust or whatever it is. That is whenever, supernaturally, that is the opportunity we have as a war, a, a, a group of warriors to press in. Mm-hmm. Our worship has to make demons flee. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and, and as we worship, and we have to believe this church, that as we worship, bondages and, 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 and strongholds will crumble and break. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I think it was David said one time, you know, you know, sort of comically that as we sing, like, like, uh, and again, this is a level of encouragement from me to you guys. I have never been in a church that sings as well. Honestly, and, and from, from my point of view up here, and I'm sure the rest of the team are the, are the same, see whenever you belt it out, like, I laugh because I love it. And, you know, like, Daniel and I were laughing a couple of weeks ago because um, we were practicing and we were going through. We were like, yeah, yeah, okay. No. And then he looked at me and I was like, no, no, we're going to build it again. And Jackie went off on one. And I was like, okay, no, we're not. Um, but we were talking after and I was like this is just class and big Ashley's not here right but see when Ashley starts clapping <laughs> my life it does my heart my heart leaps with joy but also my mind's going oh, okay yeah yeah but, but it's class because you know why there's freedom there's none of this absolute rubbish that oh I have to stand Pengu- I call it penguin worship <laughs> I will give you, you know, I'm not, people definitely, you know, don't get me wrong and I don't mean to be rude about it. People definitely still do worship about that. But whenever the enemy looks at us, folks, do you think he looks, you know, I think, what, what would terrify you more as an enemy? Someone sitting sand, I guess, or someone really getting animated and getting, and it's not about charismatic expression. You know, again, these are all secondary issues, but I'm sitting thinking, you know, I would be far more terrified of someone who's going to move, or someone who is going to maybe only knows what happens, jump up and down, or you know, static people, you know, and, and people who advance. You know, we talked about advance a few weeks ago. Don't know what that links into, but there you go. Um, yeah, but yeah, sorry, back on topic. Um, Paul and Silas, as people sung, as, as, as they sang and as they worshipped, people were set free. And we need to, especially in our town and our context, with so much darkness and, and grip of the enemy around us, we need to set people free by our worship. And as I, you know, to get back, you know, there was a comical image in my head, or I think it was David or someone that said, you know, as we sing, 
Linda had said one day a passing comment that you know there are angels here the volume that comes out of this place is unreal and that you can almost hear the angels uniting with us in in, in song and you know and, and the thing is David once said you know we can almost imagine as we we're singing a group of angels sitting on the roof so we're like well, I guess here swinging their feet as we sing you know crying out you know and I think it's class it's very encouraging but we need to actually use our praise in that context of setting people free um, <coughs> yeah just before we head on to that um, something happens in the spiritual realm when we praise God yes. mm-hmm. definitely something shifts yeah. that guy Zach Hicks I was reading he says worship is the front lines of humanity's struggle against the devil because worship is the front lines of the enemy's rebellion against God and when we look into what happened and how Lucifer fell from heaven briefly, you know, the reason that he fell from heaven is because he wanted the glory. He thought that he was better. He wanted the glory. And again, you see it all throughout scripture. You see how, you know, the golden calf, we see idol worship, we see earth worship, we see, you know, and the most, the most blindly obvious part of Satan's plan is in Matthew 4, whenever Jesus is being tempted. And the final greatest temptation, Satan makes a mistake and he goes, bow down and worship me. And he gets rebuked and he gets sent off. But I believe he made a big mistake saying that because he just gave us our whole battle plan. He gave us his whole battle plan, his whole aim. And, you know, again, the number one task on Satan's exhaustive list of of job duties and and job description is to steal the glory from God. Whether that be through worship or through pride or whatever it is, that is his one, his one, his one ambition. To destroy us and to steal the worship from God. Physical worship incites spiritual rioting. In any location where true worship takes place, i.e. here, the supernatural realm erupts in frenzied activity. Again, as I've said, it causes things to flee. And we need to, we need to, we need to take that and we need to run with that. And whenever you're worshipping through things, things that have been pummeling you, things that are hard to listen to, hard to do, we need to understand that as we sing and as we worship, those things flee. You know, an old Robin Mark says, talks about um, that the gar- are putting on the garments of praise in, the, in, in place of the spirit of heaviness. Yes, Folks, let our worship release you from these things. Amen. So it does. You know, the, the, and I, I, don't, I don't belittle our circumstances. There are times where it's hard. There are times where you're being pummeled. And, you know, you've had a hard week. You've had an exhausted week. And you come in here on a Sunday morning and you're maybe just... There's just a battle going on, as we heard, you know, throughout, throughout this whole series, there's always a battle. And like, I don't belittle that at all. Things are not easy. Life is not easy. But if we can lift ourselves out of that and praise, that becomes a far sharper weapon. You know, that to me, whenever you're under intense attack, that is whenever the enemy goes, okay, I've picked on the wrong one here. Back off a wee bit. When you lift yourself out of your struggle and worship God through it, that's when the enemy says, oh no. <clears throat> it takes stamina, it takes faith, it takes a good, strong knowledge and relationship with God. Let's briefly look at Jehoshaphat. This is a story of, of, of the people of God. And, you know, as we go through, we can look at Jehoshaphat's life. Um, he was renowned for being a man of God who followed God, unlike his fathers before him. He followed the ways of David and glorified God. Um. So, so Jehoshaphat was roughly 35, they reckon, whenever, um, whenever he took the throne in Israel. He reigned for 25 years. 
And throughout his reign, it's, it, it's clear that there was a lot of divine favour and blessing upon the people of Israel. In, in a time where you know, kings were being appointed and judges, and just everything was a mess. There was divine favour and blessing. And, you know, I read a commentary who says, you know, talks about how, how the people stood in awe of Jehoshaphat because of his worship, because, because of his stance before God, before his, the posture of his heart. And, and, and even, you know, you know we'll, we'll, we'll look at how the, the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel through, through, through what happened there. But the other thing is, the people around in the surrounding nations all looked in at Jehoshaphat and they looked and they said, right, okay, they could see that the Lord was thundering against the enemies on behalf. So when we lift up a song, we lift up a worship. It also says to people, right, these people are, are they mean business. Excuse me. They mean business and also they've got God on their side. So quickly through Jehoshaphat then, and the story there. <coughs> if you want to turn, you can. Second Chronicles 20. Um... Well, for the sake of time, time is really marching on. For the sake of time, I'll give you a brief summary. If you want to read it and you don't trust me, that's fine. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> Second Chronicles 20, read it up. And I would encourage you to read it. It really does encourage you. But basically, the story is that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the people of Mount Seir have all arisen up and joined forces to come against the people of God, which was Israel. Jehoshaphat, you know, 20, the start of 20 is basically Jehoshaphat's prayer of towards the God and he's crying out and you can see the faith in the man when he prays and the thing about it is when he prays and earnestly and you know one of the things he does again we've gone over in our in our series is he declares a, a fast for Israel he declares that the nation is to fast and seek God and God responds to this and uh, and basically says I trust me uh, and I deliver the people into your hands so what happens and again I love these verses <clears throat> is oh here we go yep so verse 20 early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa and set out as they set out Jehoshaphat stood and said listen to me Judah and the people of Jerusalem have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld have faith in his prophets and you will be successful after consulting the people Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they, these people went out ahead of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, logically that makes no sense because your front line on a battle in that time would have been either men with a big long pike or shield. It's going to be attacking or defending. And in logical sense, in the world sense, you don't send people here going to sing out because they're going to get slaughtered. But roughly, the, I think the rough, remember uh, the commentary I was reading was, they reckon it was 10 to 12 kilometers that they marched. They didn't just walk out of the gates and it was all out. They marched singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And dear only knows what else. But they were singing this for about 10 or 12 kilometers. And you can sort of imagine comically walking along going, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures. Okay, I'm really getting tired of singing this. Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? And what happens is as, we, as they get there, and as throughout this 10, 12 kilometers, whatever it was, Verse 22 says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So then you see the context of this 
this time period was because what happens is they all turned on each other and defeated each other. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it goes on to talk about how much plunder and all there was. But the main thing I'm seeing is, you know, one of the main forces that Jehoshaphat appointed was people who were to praise God. Yeah. We have prayer warriors and we have praise warriors. Yeah. And we need them. No army and no organisation functions unless every part of the membership and, and, and roles and responsibilities turns. It's said then later on in Second Chronicles 19, it talks about Jehoshaphat as someone who set his heart to seek God. This guy was someone who sought God. He didn't just walk in or, or just sing what he wanted. Or when things were tough, he didn't sing and hope that God would respond. Jehoshaphat sought God. He was a man of God. So he was. Um, it, 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 just, it really is amazing. So it is. Again, just coming to a close then. <coughs> the three main points as a warfare tool would be this. So when we worship, it's an assault on hell. Worship is an affront to everything that hell stands for. And we've talked about how, how demons have to flee and the enemy has to move and things have to be released because of the name of Jesus. We all know the verse that at the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow, here on earth and below. Um, you, know, you know, we looked, we looked again how, how, what the devil's chief aim is, is to steal the glory from God and destroy his people. But how can we, the question I pose is, right, okay, we know that, but now it's our turn to turn the tables on you. As, as, as empowered people with the spirit of God living in us, the helper is in us. It's time for us to turn the tables. It's time for us to turn the tables on this town and what the enemies be doing. We lift up a shout, a cry of victory. As it echoes out, they have to go. We assault hell when we worship. Assault on the world. Worship assaults the world by proclaiming its death. You know, the world throws many things at us and many, many things that they want us to, to, to look at in place of God, whether that be fame, fortune, um, status, Facebook, um, you know, whatever it is, job, security, you know, the perfect life, the perfect car. That's what, and we, sometimes we're guilty, and I am too, of worshipping towards those things. And the thing is that we don't just, you know, we don't just, we don't just do that immediately. That becomes something that works in our mind and you start thinking and we start worshipping those things thinking I would love that. I would love this. I would love to be there. I would love to go on that holiday to have this house. We start to worship those things. But what happens when we truly worship God is we proclaim to the world that those things are dead. So it is. Every time the church assembles to worship, to proclaim the death of Christ, it proclaims to the, um, it also proclaims the end of the world and the future of the world. It contradicts the world's claim to provide men with justification for their existence. And there's a, there's a theologian from the 20th century called, I'll try his name, uh, Jean-Jacques von Albin. That was quite well. Um, he was, he was, he was a, theo, a theo, theologian from Switzerland who, who basically did, a, if you could call it, a specialization in liturgical worship. And he has said... <coughs> Excuse me. He defines worship as a fierce protest against the values of the present age. He goes on to say, Worship is a prelude to the last judgment when the future echoes backward into the present, reminding all of creation where it's headed before the throne of God Almighty. 
So as we sing and as we, as we worship God and we, we proclaim his death and resurrection and his glory, we, we're singing out and we're, we're proclaiming to the world that, no, you're dead. My God has risen, my God is alive, and that you are dead. And finally, worship um, as warfare assaults our flesh. It's an assault on the flesh. <coughs> worship assaults the flesh by forcing it to cower in fear. Again, as I said, the flesh doesn't just stumble into sin. This isn't something that we do. We just quickly stumble in and that's us in. It's a progress. We worship our way into things. We worship status. We worship people. We worship opinions of ourselves. So we worship our way into these things, which means we have to worship our way back out. And sometimes I think, and I can be guilty of it, of thinking, this is going to be a quick fix. I'll just pray and be set free of this. No, it's not. Because yes, God can still set people free like that. But it's a posture of our heart. And you know, you know, we can pray and ask God to set us free, but unless we change our heart and what we worship, that will not happen. Because even if God sets us free miraculously, which he can still do, we're gonna we're gonna be like a child who just does the same thing over and over again. We're gonna worship our way back into these things. We need to change the posture of our heart. So we do. Um the lust of the flesh is the fruit of the idolatrous adoration and the call of worship is a summons away from fleshly addictions to idols these are sort of me trying to be theological and sound class um, but I think that's class that, that you know as I say you know I think it's, it's Tim Keller says that our hearts are idol factories basically yeah. and the call of worship is to direct ourselves away from that and towards the father mm. final side note really I have is just a story I remember thinking, again, I think it was Eugene was saying, you know, you know, D-Day in World War II was a defining moment. D-Day was the day the war changed. When the mindset and the soldier changed, the, whenever we pushed, or whenever, sorry, not we, whenever they pushed through the, that, that beach on France, that the thought impenetrable, everything changed in everyone's head. All of a sudden, the war was over, and, we knew, and they knew it. VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, was a day when soldiers and people rejoiced because there was victory in Europe. You know, and you know, sometimes I think that we can worship from, a, and again, this is myself as much as anyone else, we can worship from a place of thinking, you know, not a place of thinking, but sometimes we can, we can worship forgetting that the battle is won, forgetting that the things that we war against have already been defeated. And, you know, Sometimes we need to look at ourselves more as, as an old-fashioned herald running about spreading the news. That this has happened, whether you like it or not, it's done. And we have, we have you know, our God is one we've overcome. You can have all the skirmishes you want in the rest of this life, but ultimately the battle has been won. I think it's important that we, we worship from that place, um, and from, from that posture, that, that we remember that the victory has been won. And, and that, will, that alone will, will just give us so much more of a drive in our, in our worship. What does our battle cry echo? What, what does the battle cry of your heart echo as you sing? Again, these are just points that I've put out. Mainly just thoughts for question. Um, Romans, well, I don't know if this is fact. It's often depicted in films that whenever... Romans were running into war, they would have shouted for, for Rome or for Caesar. When we run into war, what are we shouting? This country has been renowned for shouting for God and Ulster. But personally, and I mean no offence to anyone, I think that means nothing at all. 
because it's completely in the wrong context. I think we should be shooting, shout, shooting. I think, <laughs> I think we should be shouting something more like for God and his kingdom. Your kingdom come as we go in. Um, how does our worship proclaim the name of our king? And just definitely as we close, because I've said it about four times. Um, I've lost my notes. Good lad, Aaron. Good man. <coughs> yes. Just a quick rundown. Our first topic that we looked at was sacrifice. When we worship, we are sacrificing in our own lives. We're sacrificing our fleshly desires by forcing our flesh to bow the knee to King Jesus in an act of worship, worshiping him. When we do this, we're worshiping from a place of sacrifice. It speaks more into the spiritual realm. The enemy looks at that and thinks, right, these people mean business. They're willing to lay down their lives and their desires to seek God. Um, sacrificial work, worship makes the following declarations. I trust that God is for me. I am confident that nothing will separate me from his love. My life is his, so I trust him with whatever the outcome is. I believe he sees things that I cannot see, so I'll rest in his promise to work it all out for my good. My faith is not dependent on the nature of my circumstances, but on the nature of my God. Hallelujah. My faith is not dependent on the outcome of my circumstances, but on the nature of my God. Forgiveness is key as well. Forgiveness will hold you back. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, sorry, this will not allow us to worship God because it will th constantly be throwing past excuses up in our faces to blind us. We need to worship from a place of forgiveness. We've seen how Michael despised David and how much this affected the worship of God and what it did to her. Advance. By staying still in life and in faith, we become stagnant, almost like a pool of stagnant water. The longer we sit and we don't move, whatever that looks like, the more wrong thoughts and attitudes and mentalities will fester in our hearts. Like the, like the bacteria and the algae festers in stagnant water, the longer we sit still, the more things will fester in our hearts. That'll distract from God. The reality is, in fact, that God hasn't stopped running after us. Sometimes it feels like you know, sometimes if we, we can sing songs time and time and time again, but sometimes it can feel, and I've felt it in the past, that I've been running towards God, but God hasn't been running towards me. I've got that completely wrong. Because the reality is the Father never stops running towards his children. It's us who stop running. So it is. It's us who stop moving towards God. In worship like war, we must advance to take ground. Wars weren't, weren't won by people standing on the same spot, shooting or waving a sword about People advance, they move forward. That is how wars are won. We take the ground by moving forward. Holiness, again, Jesus is our perfect example. When we look at it, we see how, how Jesus reacted, how he worshipped God, how he prayed to God. Holy and pure worship is when, it, it, it's this idea, again, in my head, I'm thinking, this is when we join with the holy and, and purity of, of angels in heaven singing praises to God. It's when we're completely satisfied in God alone. John Stott says, True worship is the highest and noblest activity of which a man by the grace of God is capable. Faith, 
We've seen it through Jehoshaphat, David, Hannah, Paul and Silas. They were all people of faith. They sang and prayed with faith. This is what moved mountains. This is what broke the shackles in the prisons. This is what caused the, the, the armies to defeat each other. This is what brought a child into Hannah's life was faith. <coughs> Worshipping with faith is a destructive to the kingdom of darkness as it shows everything in the spiritual that we know our God has overcome and is bigger than whatever they can throw at us. That's what faith says. Prayer and fasting. Jehoshaphat was worshipping, but before that he, he declared a prayer and fasting. Before that he declared the people come and seek God. Fasting and praying brings us to a place of, of, of maybe weakness, where all we can do is focus our eyes on God. We refocus on his beauty, his glory and his splendour. And when this happens, when we look into the eyes of Jesus again, our heart's natural reaction is to worship. As we see the glory of God, our, our gut reaction to that is worship. Like, the, like in heaven, like, in, like, like the angels, when we see the worship of God, or when we, when we see the glory of God face to face, our hearts have to buy in worship. So that is just a few thoughts. I went on far longer than I had timed or anticipated. Apologies, but too bad I have you. Like a captive audience. So, just, um, I'm going to ask the team to come up now. Um, again, <clears throat> vocally I'm very weary and weak, but there's something, you know, just, just let's just bounce out of this. And you might look at this and think he's talking a little rubbish, or there's something, might whatever it is, let's bounce out of this and declare war. Let's advance Let's break chains and let's declare that our king has overcome. So David, could you come and pray for us just as we swap about and want this device back?